So we are almost finished with our study of the book of Romans. It's only been 26 weeks, <laughs> right? Um, that's, that's pretty good. I mean, I'm only like 10 over the number of chapters that we have in the book. Uh, so this week and next week, will uh, these are our last two weeks in the book of Romans. And uh, we have gone on quite a journey with Paul, and we've covered a lot of ground. Um, and so we are to the point now in the letter to the church in Rome where Paul is starting to wrap things up. So he's getting to the end and he's taking care of business, but there are some things that he still needs them uh, to know and to remember and some things that he wanted to say. So if you have your Bibles this morning, open up to Romans chapter 15. And as we read through this, and as we go through chapter 16 next week, uh, it's sort of interesting to think about, number one, if you remember, uh, Paul has not been to this church before. Uh, as far as we know, there has not been an apostle that visited the church in Rome at all to this point. So the church was started uh, by those who heard about Jesus and traveled back uh, to Rome and shared the gospel with others. But even though he hadn't been there, Paul, it was his great ambition uh, to get to Rome. And actually where Paul wanted to go ultimately was to get over into Western Europe. He wanted to go to Spain, which I know sometimes, you know, it's, I don't always think about the modern world when I'm reading the Bible, but it's true. Paul wanted to go to Spain and he wanted to get the gospel as far as he could to the West, to the known world uh, at that time. So that was his great ambition was to head that way. So he's wrapping up this letter and, and here's how he what, he, what he starts to say here at the end. From 15, chapter 15, verses 14 through 22. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus and my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. Okay, so we know enough about the letter to Rome at this point. Remember, 25 weeks, uh, 26 is next week. We know about enough about the letter uh, to know some of uh, the many issues that Paul has chosen to address with this church. And he wanted to give one more reminder of what's important. And so what is the reminder that he gives to them here at the end? Well, it's one that we've seen uh, throughout the book of Romans, and that is this, that God's message to the world is an inclusive 
message. For some reason, even though he's gone through all of this thing of breaking down uh, the Jew and Gentile relationship, he feels the need here at the end to break it down again. And if you notice what he's doing in this section, he wants them to know that, again, these people that once were far away from God are not far away from him any longer. That they have been brought into what God is doing into the world. And so he says that Paul, that he himself was sent to be a minister to the Gentiles. And again, this was a really big deal because Paul was saying that through the actions of Jesus, that salvation is extended to the world and not just to one group of chosen people. Instead, Paul is again trying to reinforce with them that There is no longer one chosen people, but now God has chosen everyone. And anyone that wants to come to know God through Jesus can choose to know him. So everything that Paul has said to this point, he's bringing it back around, and everything that he has said is about how Jesus is bringing salvation to the world and not just to one group of people. And Paul's great passion, which we need to respect a little bit, is that Christ would be fully proclaimed, especially in places where the truth of the gospel was not known. He makes sort of a weird statement. I don't know if you caught it in there. He says in verse 20, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. It's kind of a weird thing to say, isn't it? He's kind of like, I want to get there first. Because if someone else gets there first, I don't know what they're going to tell them. So I want to get there first. Why does he feel this conviction? Why does he even feel the need to say this? Because he wants them to know that God has sent him to do this particular thing. To speak to those who don't have a foundation in God. That they might come to know Jesus. And The cry of Paul's heart was that all would hear about how God is saving the world through Jesus. He wanted to make sure that to the best of his ability, there would be no one who would not hear. So he says he has fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ, which does not mean that he has evangelized everyone in the world at that point. But it it does say that he has gone and taken the gospel in ways and in areas that people would not have done before. And this is where maybe we fail to appreciate how much of a radical Paul was. That he was taking Jesus and the gospel to the world. That he was taking it to people who were not traditionally allowed to be in relationship with God. And his dream was to go to the great cities, the great urban areas of the world, and to tell people who have never heard about Jesus who Jesus is. But as far as he had gone, he hadn't gone far enough. So let's look at verses 23 through 33. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing For many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through, 
and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, on my way to Jerusalem and the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessing, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of, of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will, and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. We get a weird look into, in this section, what some of Paul's worries are. And he sort of alluded to it in the first part where he talked about my mission to the Gentiles was given to me by God. Almost as if he's trying to prove to them that everything he said to them is right and, you know, God approved. But now he makes this statement. And what does he want to do most? He wants to go to Rome and he wants to visit them. He wants to go to the capital. This is this is the biggest city in the world. And he wants to share with them the news about Jesus. But we know from our study of Acts, which I think we only spent like 35 weeks on. <laughs> we know from our study of Acts that Paul actually did not get to go to Rome freely. If you remember from the story of Acts, in this point, he's going back to Jerusalem. And specifically, he's going back to Jerusalem to take money that these mostly Gentile churches have given to support the poor in Jerusalem. And what happens when he gets back to Jerusalem? Do you remember? He gets arrested. And he gets put on trial. And what does he insist on? On going to see Caesar. Which is how he ends up getting to Rome as a prisoner. So that's what's coming up for him. But we also see that part of his job as he's gone out into the world is to take the information and the news of what God is doing back to Jerusalem, where this might surprise you, so I'm, I'm sorry for the shock, but most of the Christians in Jerusalem were Jewish. It's true. Most of the Christians in Jerusalem were Jewish. And Paul is worried that when he goes back to Jerusalem and he tells the church in Jerusalem about what God is doing in the world, that they won't like it. And in fact, he's worried that these funds that he's taking back to support the poor in Jerusalem will be rejected because it came from Gentiles. So he asks them to pray that God would help these things to be accepted by the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem 
so that the work of God can be done there. And he makes this statement that, you know, the Jewish Christians are sharing God with the world, so it's only right that these Gentile Christians share what they have from the world back with the church in Jerusalem. And he's hoping that through this act of giving and graciousness, that the church will accept that he is the minister to the Gentiles and that they will allow him to break down some of the racial barriers that existed. And that in many of these cases that people believe God put into place. So Paul asked them to pray for him that he would be able to return to Rome. Now, it makes me, it makes me a little bit sad, I guess, that after all of the amazing and wonderful things that Paul has said, all the encouragement, all of the convicting things, everything, he has to go back to this again. And he expresses his worry to this church. Remember that a lot of what he dealt with in the church, with the church in Rome was dealing with this whole Jew-Gentile breakdown and, and how they need to accept one another and to love one another. And so while it might seem like these verses and these passages that we've read are kind of, it, it's hard to pull something out of them, we see in Paul a deep worry and frustration that the things that divide people in this world will divide people within the kingdom of God. So much so that he's concerned that this group won't even take money from the other group. And one of the things that has really touched home with me about this message and what we've seen before is how we make being loved by God so complicated. We make being loved by God so complicated. You know, I consider myself to be a relatively intelligent person on most days. Relative is relative, so, you know, just keep that in mind. Um, and usually, as I've explained to you before, I'm kind of a, you know, I'm a professional explainer. And so... I'm good with explaining things, but something happens to my brain when people ask me for directions. <laughs> it's true. I, I'm not directionally challenged. I understand which direction is north, east, south, and west. I get that. But for some reason, when people ask me for directions, my brain goes into some sort of weird overdrive where I'm immediately trying to process all of the best ways to get somewhere. And then I'm trying to make all of that come out through my mouth. And inevitably, I'm going to get something wrong. Even if I have been to this place a million times, if you ask me how to get there, I might mess it up. I apologize in advance. It's some sort of weird mental tick. I can't stop it. Several years ago, uh, Nisha's family came to visit us for Nisha's birthday. 
and they drove up from Fresno. So her, her sisters and her brothers-in-law, they drove up from LA to Fresno, and they all drove from Fresno up here to surprise Nisha for a birthday lunch. And we were going to meet at Betty's Fish and Chips. So I gave them directions to Betty's Fish and Chips. And I said, you come up Highway 101, you get on 12 West, and you go out until you get to this street and you're looking for this and that. That's wrong, friends. So Nisha and I are in the car and I am texting with her parents and I'm like, are you guys there yet? And they're like, no. And I said, well, where are you? And they said, I don't know. We're like in some weird like country area. I said, okay, well, what's in front of you? And they're like, oh, hold on. We're almost to Sebastopol. And I was like, what are you doing in Sebastopol? That's the wrong direction. So I scrolled back up and looked at my notes. And sure enough, I had told them to take 12 West. So now I'm stalling in the car with Nisha. And this, this is a true story. I'm acting like I can't get to Betty's. So I drive by it once, and he's just like, it's right there. I'm like, oh, you're right. I make a U-turn, go back, and drive too far the other direction. Oops. Come back again. And I do this for about 10 minutes, and Nisha is starting to wonder, what is wrong with me? That I can't take us to this restaurant that's right here on the side of the road. So finally, her family gets there. I wait for them to get seated. I finally land the plane. We go inside, and it was like, surprise. And they were so tired from having spent like five hours in the car. It was, it was awful. Something happens in my head that makes even the most simple of things complicated. And I wish it didn't happen that way, but it does. So this morning, as we come to a close in the book of Romans, and Paul has one more warning for us next week. I want us to remember that in all of the things that Paul has talked about in the book of Romans, his message is actually fairly simple. And his message, the one that he wants to share, is the gospel. So let's remind ourselves this morning about what the gospel says. From 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 5, Paul says this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Church, this is the gospel, pretty much in its entirety. It is the root of what we believe. It is what all of this noise and mess is about. And what does it say? 
that Jesus is the Son of God. He lived here on this earth. He died, was buried, and rose again. And anyone that believes in that message will be saved. That's actually not so complicated. That's not so hard to explain. This is the point of the story, the foundation on which everything else is built on. And most everything else we see in the New Testament is commentary on these few points. Paul considered this message, the gospel, to be so important that he believed it was the only thing really worth saying. That if you heard anything he said at all, that this is what he wanted you to hear from him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1-2, through 2, he says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now hold on a second. If you've read the book of 1 Corinthians, which I'm assuming at least you've cracked it once or twice, you know that that is not all that Paul talked about. You know that there are so many things, and Paul in particular had some of the most complicated and in-depth dialogue we find about what it means to be a Christian and how you live out the gospel. And we have certainly seen that in the book of Romans. And this is, of course, true. But if you were to ask Paul what the whole thing is about, his answer would be this. Jesus is the Son of God who came to this world, died, was buried, and rose again, and anyone who believes in him will be saved. Because that is the gospel. And that is what everything is about. So what does that mean? What have we seen in the book of Romans? How did Paul start it out? He started out by proving that everyone is undeserving of the love of God. That no one is good enough. That no one can save themselves. And then he brings the good news into that story. That God sent Jesus here to be a sacrifice for us. That God knew that we are all failures, that we could not get there on our own, but he loves us and he sent Jesus here to save us. And Paul tells them that salvation is a gift that God gives to us, that we cannot earn it. And that coming into contact with this kind of dynamic and radical love changes you forever. The God who forgives all of your failings and mistakes, that love changes you forever so that you live a different life. And we found out through the book of Romans that the gospel does not care about who you do or do not like. It is not interested in the color of your skin, where you grew up, how you voted, how good or bad of a person you are. The gospel doesn't care 
about those things. From Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That is the gospel. And what kind of story is this? Well, it's a love story. Duh. We see this in the words of John chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And these verses are important and informative for a reason. There's a reason why people know John 3.16 probably more than any other Bible verse. You, go, you, you know, you got the smart alecks, though, that say Jesus wept, right? They're informative because they bring perspective to the gospel story. That God sent his only son to die for us, that we would not die but have everlasting life. And here's something I want you to know that Paul knew, even though he talked about all of these other things. He knew that this story, the gospel story, in its simplicity, was what was going to change the world. It wasn't about all the things you do right, it wasn't about all the things you do wrong. It wasn't about how good or bad you are. The power of the gospel is that it covers all of us. It covers all of us. And that's where we see that the gospel is a story that's alive. It needs to encounter someone's life. And when the gospel encounters someone's life, that's where it finds its own life in the heart that hears that God loves them in this way. We've seen this play out in the life of Paul, who he himself was zealous for God, and as a good God-fearing Jew, he took it upon himself to persecute Christians until he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus and completely turned his life over to God and the power of the gospel. And Paul spent the rest of his life until he was killed, trying to tell people that story. That God loves the world. That Jesus came here to save us and that anyone who believes in him would be saved. And he's told this story to so many people because he believed that when people heard about the love of God in Jesus, their lives would be changed forever. He believed that no one had experienced this kind of love outside of God. He believed that they couldn't experience it anywhere outside of God, that God was the only one who could love people in this way and who would save them in spite 
of themselves and their failings. People from all walks of life, all backgrounds, all races, all people were invited to know that God loved them. And when Paul told this story, people's lives changed. It wasn't because he was so smart or he was so eloquent or knew he knew or he knew the right thing to say what he knew was the story the gospel that god loves you and what is so powerful about the gospel is is not only that god loves you but that god gives you the opportunity as many times as you want to take it to become something more to become something more you know paul before he met jesus on the road to damascus was a guy who lived his life on his own terms who who took control of things going so far as to execute those who he believed were going against the will of god and he did all of those things he thought in the name of god but when paul meets jesus on that road and he realizes who he is and what he's done there's no reason why he should have gotten a chance to change there's no reason he was persecuting god's people dragging them out of their homes people were afraid of him there was no reason why he should have gotten another chance and yet what did god do with him He changed him. More so, he gave him the opportunity to change. And Paul spent the rest of his life changing. Becoming the person that God wanted him to be. The world is full of places where people will never get a second chance where the bad decisions they have made will define them for a lifetime, where people will remind them what they did 15 years ago. Jesus, too, knows all of our mistakes better than anyone else. And yes, Jesus sees us as lost, but he doesn't see us as a lost cause. Paul learned that Jesus believed in him. that he loved him and that he could become something more than this creature that he had created jesus knows that we need a way out of the life that we have created and he opens the door for us he wants us to change and he gives us every opportunity to become someone different so the reason why all of this works and why this story is so important is that at its core the gospel is the best message of hope that we have 
You know when hope fails? When everything goes wrong. Everything you thought would happen, everything you wanted to happen, all the things you'd worked so hard for, that's when hope fails. And the gospel in its essence says that there is never a reason to stop hoping. Because through Jesus, God has overcome all things and will continue to overcome all things in your life. Because Jesus is the Son of God, and he came to this world and lived here with us. He died for us, and he rose victoriously, gaining victory over death and sin. And in his new life, if we believe in him, then our hope is without end. Our hope is without end. Because while we might be overcome, Jesus never will. Jesus never will. So what I want us to remember this morning as we're coming to the end of this study, I want you to remember that in the middle of all that Paul has talked about, the heart of his message is that God loves people. Amen. Not a certain kind of person. God loves all people. And he wants all people to be saved. And we see him at the end of this, you know, 16 chapters, this long letter that he's written to these people, that he's still worried about overcoming their stuff whether they will let the gospel be big enough for what God is trying to do in the world, or whether they will try to take the gospel and hoard it for themselves. That's not the message of the gospel, by the way. That it's for you. It is for you. But it is also for the world. So I want you to know this morning that that story, the gospel in its essence, is enough. It's enough. It's enough to make people, motivate people to change their lives. It's enough to motivate people to dedicate their lives to telling the story over and over and over again. It's enough to make a difference in this world. The gospel is enough. And if we have anything worth saying, if we have anything worth telling, it is that story. That God has loved you. He's loved me. And that he loved me when I was a mess. That he loves me as messy as I am now. And that every day his grace, his love, his goodness overcomes. Amen. Amen.